book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was younger, we'll say, I used to spend hours just staring into the sky. During the day, I would watch the clouds go by, lying on my back in the grass, allowing my imagination to give the clouds forms and shapes that they probably didn't intend. And the sky for me became this great canvas of an immense drama of horses and people and dragons and bears migrating across the sky. Or I would imagine other places, wondering what the clouds above my childhood home in the Dominican Republic meant for my grandparents back in Michigan, whether we had the same weather or different weather. At night, since I could only identify about three constellations, I would make up my own. And these points of light in the sky became warriors and mythical creatures waging war in the heavens. I spent a good deal of my childhood, we'll call it my childhood, simply looking up in the sky, allowing my imagination to run wild. There's a funny old German uh, nursery rhyme. 
called Hans Gruckendloft. Some people got that. <laughs> Which translates in English as Johnny Head in the Clouds. And this nursery rhyme warns children about the dangers of looking up in the sky too much, of daydreaming too much, of not paying attention to where you're going. In this little poem, Hans, or Johnny, as he's called in the English translation, walks around with his eyes glued to the sky, watching the flight of sparrows and the clouds passing by and the rays of the sun with disastrous results. Since he doesn't look where he's going, he has a tendency to bump into things and fall over. He crashes into a poor dog and they tumble down a hill. He stumbles on the street. He falls into a river. And the story ends, the little rhyme ends, with a few fish poking their heads up out of the river, laughing at him as he stands sopping wet on the bank of the river, shivering in the cold, because his school supplies have flown out to sea. And now, obviously, he's going to fail school and never amount to anything in his life. And the moral of the story is clear. Keep your eyes on the road. Watch where you're going. Get to work. Don't waste your time with your head in the clouds. In our story for today, the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven, we're faced with an interesting tension. After Jesus commissions his disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, he is lifted up into the sky and disappears. And obviously this leaves the disciples stunned and speechless. The followers of Jesus are left there on that mountain gawking up at the sky. And then two angels show up and ask, why, why are you looking up in the sky? What, what are you doing? Why are you looking up into the sky? It's kind of ironic because you'd expect angels to appear like in the sky, right? And here the disciples are like looking up into the heavens and they, they miss the angels who are right next to them, standing with them. The angels are here on earth. They're busy with the things that God has commissioned them to do. And they encourage the disciples to do the same thing. Don't worry. Get your head out of the clouds. Get to the work that God has called you to do. The story poses an interesting tension for us as believers. On the one hand, as Pastor Carl made clear last Sunday, some of us probably do spend too much time with our head in the clouds, trying to figure out the times and seasons of Christ's appointed return. Much ink and thought has been spilled trying to calculate things that are really none of our business, leading to wild speculation that does more to harm the gospel than it helps. But on the other hand, I think that some of us don't raise our eyes to heaven nearly often enough. Some of us are probably so focused on our earthly life that we forget that we live every day with the sure hope that Christ will return. That at the last trumpet blast, the heavens will be rolled back like a scroll and our Lord will descend to judge the living and the dead and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. Many of us live our day-to-day -day lives as though Christ will not return for some time 
or will not return at all. We fail to live, as the apostle puts it, with our hearts set on things above, not on things of the earth. We live as though our success in this life depends on our hard work, not on the gracious gift of God. We are practical atheists, going about our day-to-day lives here in the world. Maybe taking a 90-minute break on Sunday morning to waste some time with our head in the clouds, but otherwise unconcerned with heavenly things. And I think that what we aim for as Christians is probably something of a balance between set your hearts on things above and why do you stand here looking up into the sky? We are a heavenly people charged with worldly work. With our hearts attuned to heaven, we do the work that God has called us to do here on earth. I think the story of Christ's ascension poses another difficulty for us too. Because it's not as easy to celebrate as the other great feasts of the Christian year. Christmas and Easter are easy, right? They're about God's gift. They're about God's gift of Jesus to the earth. Even Good Friday and Pentecost, it's pretty easy for us to identify the benefit that we receive from God's action in those stories. On Christmas, we proclaim Jesus is born. Christ is here. God has come to us as a human person. Heaven has come to earth. And so we celebrate by giving each other gifts by decorating trees and houses with lights that show that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. On Good Friday, we celebrate that the debt of sin has been paid and that we are forgiven and made right before God. On Easter, we celebrate that Christ has conquered death by his resurrection and that his victory is our victory. And so we sing our songs of faith and we give each other cards and chocolates and ham dinners. On Pentecost, which we'll celebrate this coming Sunday, next Sunday, we celebrate the gift of God's Spirit, that God is with us through the presence of His Spirit in our hearts to encourage and nourish us as we journey through this life. At the Ascension, though, it isn't as easy to identify what God's gift is here. Jesus leaves. Yay! Where's the good news in that? What is the benefit in that? What is the gift? The Heidelberg Catechism spends a significant portion, outlining the themes of the ascension and what it means for us. And in question and answer 49, it talks about the benefits that we receive from Christ's ascension. And it gives three reasons, although these are admittedly not as tangible as the benefits that we receive in the incarnation and in the resurrection and the crucifixion. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that from his place at the right hand of the Father, Christ is our advocate in heaven. He brings our prayers to God and advocates on our behalf. Okay. 
Second, the fact that Jesus bodily ascended into heaven, that he ascended into heaven with his physical human body, gives us assurance that we will stand in God's presence in our resurrected bodies. That's pretty cool. And third, the Catechism tells us that from his rightful place as ruler of heaven and earth, our Lord sends us his Holy Spirit as a sure sign and pledge of our salvation so that we may be encouraged and nourished in our journey through this life. Those are all good things. Those are great benefits that we receive from Christ's ascension. But they all point past the ascension, don't they? To the faithfulness of God in answering prayer. To the promise of the resurrection of the dead when Christ returns. To the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The truth of the matter, sisters and brothers, is that God's gift at the ascension is a little bit difficult for us to accept because God's ascension gift to the world is his church. We are God's ascension gift to the world. The community of God's people marked by the waters of baptism, sustained and nourished by the body and blood of Christ, guided by his word and by his spirit in our hearts, commissioned to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Scripture uses the language that we are representatives of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are God's ambassadors, witnesses, heirs, Princes and princesses, ministers of the kingdom of peace. And this is an incredible privilege. But it's also an incredible responsibility. Because this means that God's gift to the world at the ascension is a community that models what it means to live as citizens of a heavenly kingdom here on earth. We model for the kingdom of this world, for the kingdoms of this world, what the kingdom of heaven will look like. We live as citizens of a kingdom not of this world. So what does this look like in our everyday lives? What does it mean for how we spend our money, for how we spend our time? What does it mean for how we use social media? What does it mean for where we live, for how we interact with our neighbors, for what role we take on in our neighborhood? The whole rest of the New Testament, the rest of the book of Acts, the letters of the early church explore these themes in great detail. Getting into the hard work of living as citizens of the kingdom of God, even while we journey through our lives here on this earth, in the kingdoms of this world. 
sisters and brothers, when it comes right down to it, we are called to be hard-working stargazers, hard at work in this world, with one eye on the road and one eye on the skies, an earthly people with a heavenly vision. So let us set our hearts on things above, turning our gaze to heaven, remembering our Lord and our King, who will come again as we do the work that he has called us to do here on this earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. O oh Lord our God, we thank you with some trepidation for the gift of your ascension. We thank you that you have commissioned us, that you have called us, that you have set us apart to be your witnesses here on this earth. We thank you that you have made us citizens of the kingdom of heaven already in Christ. That in our baptism, we are crowned with an invisible crown that marks us as princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And yet, Lord, we feel the enormous burden of this task. To live as your representatives in the world. And so we pray that you would give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to sustain and strengthen us, to guide us in the light of your word, that we may live holy lives that are pleasing to you. That we may live every moment as baptized believers, living in the light of your word, doing what is pleasing to your will. And Lord, through our witness, we pray that the ends of the earth would come to know you as God, would come to know Jesus as Lord, would come to know the Holy Spirit living in their hearts, that at the name of Jesus every knee might bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Bless us, O Lord, we pray, that we may bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.